Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The 311th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul on Michigan. They're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, we're back again on another live edition of the podcast. If you joined us last week, remember we told you we'd be going live on the weekends um, covering Carolina's games and ACC play um, on Saturdays. Um, and, of course, as we get to the NCAA tournament, of course, we'll, we'll probably be live for those special edition uh, episodes. But uh, tonight we're here to talk about Carolina's win over Syracuse and a game that um, was pretty much over from the first media timeout of the game on. Uh, Carolina dispatched Syracuse 103-67 to in the Smith Center. We'll take a look at the box score. You'll hear from head coach Huber Davis. We have our stat of the game, takeaways, and two discussion topics. But um, we'll go ahead and, and jump right in to this thing. As I mentioned, Carolina uh, beat Syracuse 103-67. The Heels are now 13-3 and on the year, 5-0 and in league play. Uh, the first 5-0 and start since 2015-2016. Um, are poised to be ranked inside the top five on Monday morning. They could be as good as number three in the country when we get that AP poll on Monday morning. Um, The 36-point win is the largest margin of a victory against an ACC opponent since beating Notre Dame by 42 back in uh, in the 2021 ACC tournament. This was the largest ACC loss ever for the Orange ever since they joined the league. The first 100-point game in conference play since Carolina scored 100 against NC State back in 2022. The second most points in an ACC game since Carolina scored 113, also against NC State back in 2019. And overall, Carolina now 17-6, and all-time against Syracuse, 7-0 and at home. And, you know, we said coming in, that we expected Carolina to be excited to be back home um, because they've been away for over three weeks, just their second home game since the first weekend of December. But I don't think you and I expected this well of a performance because we talked about it coming in. Syracuse, a solid team, a team that was 2-2 and in the league, but needed a win like a win over Carolina to really build – an NCAA tournament resume. Instead, Carolina saw a team that has been bad away from home, multiple 20-point losses in ACC play, 
and they put the orange away before they even had a chance to get their feet wet in the small game. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I, I thought this was a game that Carolina could win by a pretty decent margin because I felt like Carolina really was the better team. And I told you on you know the preview podcast that I thought they'd win 12, 15-point margin at the end. I did not see that coming at all. That was domination. Um, it may have been the best half of basketball that Carolina's played on both ends of the floor. I mean – that that first half against Tennessee, they they scored at a pretty high level, but I don't know if they were as good defensively as they were in that first half, because they held Syracuse to under tw- uh, under thirty percent shooting from the field again, uh, another opponent that they've done that two and a half, and they created ten turnovers in the game. And when you combine what they did on the defensive end of the floor with what they were able to do on the offensive end of the floor, it, it just they made it too much to ask for Syracuse to even keep themselves in the game. Carolina needed a game where they could sort of get back on track offensively because we knew that, look, while this team is defending at a high level, that's, you know, that, that is a way that teams have been beaten before because they simply can't score. Um, I didn't, I wasn't concerned about Carolina's offense. I I thought um, you brought up a great point the other day on the podcast when you said that, you know, defense travels, offense doesn't necessarily do that. And I think you saw that today. They got back in the Smith Center, and this looked like the team that we have seen for the better part of the season offensively. And to score 103 points in this game, to hold Syracuse to 67, and yeah, it, it ruins that streak of, you know, consecutive games with holding the opponent to less and less points. I, I mean, this might be the most complete performance that we've seen from this team in a long, long time. I mean, I got to be honest. I asked you this question, and I, I don't know if somebody put this stat out. I cannot remember the last time Carolina scored 100 points in a conference game. Um, that looked they, – they played this game the way that they played the Charleston Southern game. There was absolutely no doubt about who was going to win in the second half. They put in their – the Biscuit Boys, the Blue Squad, whatever you want to call them, they put those guys in with a little over four minutes to go in the game. I mean, that is insane that they had members of that group out there that early. So this is as as thorough a beatdown as we've seen in a long time and just shows you, again, how special this Carolina team is turning out to be. Muted. You're muted, bro. Okay, well, Josh has his mic off, so apparently uh, – Well, they did it 2022 against NC State, um, and they did it um, – you know, they did, they've done it at home. They do it pretty frequently, it feels like, at home under Huber Davis in conference play. Um, and this one, you had the feeling early. You just saw the way they came out of the gate. This team was ready to go. And they were ready to to play at a high level, compete at a high level. Um, and that's what you saw. Um, you had five guys in double-figure scoring, led by R.J. Davis, who got back on track scoring 22 points. You got double-doubles from Harrison Ingram and Armando Baycott. And when Carolina plays the way they play today, um, there's not a better team in the league, and there are only a handful of teams better than them in all of college basketball. Um, and that's just – at this point, it's just it's just factual. That's not us saying that through Carolina blue lenses. That's not us wanting or wishing it to be true. It just is. Um, and, and Carolina uh, basketball, as we've talked about really all year long, it's back. And today was just another example of just that. Let's take a look now at the box score for Carolina, and it's a pretty one. Um, for the Heels. They shot 48% from the field. They were 37 of 77 from the field. They took 77 shots in today's game. Conversely, they held Syracuse to just 37% shooting. The Orange were 23 of 63. One thing Carolina did, didn't did do well in this game, and it's why you could come out of this game still uh, being able to, to nitpick their performance just 7 of 26 from 3, 27%. So Carolina still needs to shoot the three ball better. Uh, but they held Syracuse to 4 and 19 shooting from 
the three-point line, that's 21%. So you look at all four of their ACC games um, since the calendar turned to 2024, they've held every single opponent to 24% or worse from behind the three-point line. Heels got back to the bread and butter. They lived at the foul line. They were 22 of 27. That's 81%. Syracuse was 17 of 21. Carolina forced 17 turnovers, um, and they turned those into 23 points. On the flip side, Carolina turned it over themselves 14 times, and it led to 18 Syracuse points, but it wasn't enough to make an impact on the ball game. Uh, 53 rebounds for Carolina, just 30 for Syracuse. The Heels won the defensive last battle. 34-23 in the offensive rebounding battle, 19-7, which Carolina turned those 19 offensive rebounds into 22 second-chance points. Um, a big reason why Carolina won and played so well, their bench. 39 bench points today for Carolina. Um, they outscored Syracuse 39-19. to um, Points in the paint, advantage Carolina 58-32. Fast break points, advantage Carolina 20-9. Carolina had 16 assists on their 37 made baskets. Syracuse with eight assists on their 23 made baskets. Let's now uh, transition and get to the quote of the game from head coach Hubert Davis, um, who was asked after the game about what he thought about the way that his team played offensively in terms of their pace. Well, I thought, um, you know, I thought our pace was really good. You know, after we got the stop, I thought the way that we advanced the ball from defense to offense, it, it was at a good pace. We were pitching the ball ahead. Uh, we were playing .5 offense where as soon as we touch it, we were shooting, passing it, or driving it. It wasn't sticking at all. We talked about dominating points in the paint, and as good as Syracuse is, they're limited in the front front court, so we wanted to get the ball inside, whether through post penetration and offensive rebounding. So irregardless if they were in man or zone, those are the things we were looking for in the offensive end, and, and those are the things that we were able to consistently do. When you look at Carolina's offensive production, and you look at the last three games, they haven't played in the open court. Like once the game kind of settled in and it became a half-court game, Carolina was content playing that way, which was fine because you defended at a level to where you didn't need to get those easy buckets, but you've got to get back to doing that. And what Carolina did as well today as they've done in any game so far this season is push the ball off of makes and push the ball off of misses. Um, and, and, and that's something that they've done as good of a job this year under Huber Davis, pushing off of makes, pushing off of misses, but it kind of gone away in the first three games of the new year. Um, and I think a lot of that's just because of the style that those games settled into. This one, uh, with Syracuse having a new head coach, they're not as, uh, you know, methodical offensively. Syracuse wanted to get out. They wanted to make it an open floor game, and they learned the hard way that even they can't run with Carolina. And you look at some of the the, the assists that Carolina had, and you had a, you had, you had a full-court assist. You had a couple assists from – well beyond the three-point line because of the way Carolina just ran the floor. And it's just a reminder that when Carolina does those little things, it takes their offense to a whole nother level. And it darn near makes them unguardable. Um, and it allows them to score 103 against an ACC opponent and more than 50 points in both halves, something you just typically don't see in today's college basketball. Let's now get to the stat of the game. Um, and I went with points in the paint. You know, you go back to the preview pod, we talked about playing inside out offensively because this is a Syracuse team that still couldn't guard the interior and frankly couldn't guard anybody. And what Carolina did early and often tonight or earlier this afternoon was put the ball on the floor and attack the rim. But also Armando Baycott was rewarded for getting great post position and was fed the ball. And it wasn't an accident. He was six of eight from the field on the way to scoring his 16 points today. And so, um, you, you know, I think that's something for this offense. When you look at the three-point percentage, it's still not where you want it to be. They're going to need to shoot the ball better as the season moves along. But if you play inside out and you live at the rim, you've got shooters that are good enough that as the season does progress, those misses will become makes 
and take this offense to another level. Yeah, well, I mean, let's be honest. I don't really know how it could get to another level from where it was at today. I think it's different because you, you don't expect teams to allow you to score that easily inside. But I think you're, you're hoping that you can, when you face some of these better defensive teams, you're able to put up 80-plus points like you've done for the majority of the season and combine that with the defensive efforts that you've seen in some of these road games so far to start conference play. Um, I, you know, to me, I think the shooters are on this roster. Um, and I think right now the fact that the, you don't have to rely on those guys because players are just finishing so well at the rim is just a huge bonus for this team. It shows how aggressive this team is. Um, and it shows that these these guards are capable of getting downhill. But, you, I mean, look, you're, you're seeing R.J. Davis shoot the ball well. You're hoping that Harrison Ingram is a guy that comes along and, and starts becoming more consistent. But uh, I think one of the things that you have to just realize about his game is that, you know, his offensive production is going to be hit and miss at times in terms of the actual points that he's producing. Um, he's a guy that's probably not the most surefire shooter, as we've seen, you know, evidenced by his free throw shooting. But at the same time, when you need a basket, he's a guy that, finds a way to knock down big shots. Um, And then Cormac Ryan, um, you know, I I think the shots are there for him, and it feels like he's, as you've said, he's got the the right shot form. That's not the issue. It's just, for right now, those those shots just are not falling. Um, I think that at some point you're going to see those shots eventually start to fall. Uh, But, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, as long as he continues to bring the aggression that he does on the defensive end of the floor, as long as he's able to drive the basket like he d- is able to do at certain times, I think you can still live with that. But uh, I-, I would imagine at some point, because of how good these guys are shooting-wise, um, and we've seen evidence of it throughout their careers and uh, even at times during this season, I feel like at some point those outside shots are going to start falling. But right now, if you continue to play the way you're playing, you don't necessarily need them to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, they're, they're, there's going to there's gonna be games where they got to make perimeter shots because teams are going to be able to take away the lane. They're going to be able to limit Armando Baycott. The good news is is they haven't fallen into bad habits of taking bad shots. Like, they're, they're missing good shots. And that's a lot more fun as opposed to missing bad shots. Um, and, and I think for, for Cormac – I think the, the the ankle injuries are the biggest reason why, because I don't think he's getting the, the, the normal lift he's, he, he typically gets off his jumper. Um, and you can just hope that as the season moves along, he'll get healthy um, and those misses will turn into makes. Let's now just get into our general takeaways before we get to our two discussion topics for tonight's edition of the podcast. Um, the first thing I have written down was, was Carolina's dominant first half. You build a 52-30 to 30 lead. Um, that's your largest halftime lead since you left Florida State by 38 points back in 2022. That was just a, a string of games where Carolina at home just blew everybody out that year. Um, you know, the, first, the last three games on the road, slow starts, sluggish starts. It took Carolina to the under eight part of the first half to really – find themselves, and, and get settled into the ball game. That wasn't the case this afternoon. You jumped out to a, a 13-7 lead at the under-16 timeout. That was a part of, a, of, of an 11-0 run that effectively, for all the intents and purposes, put the game away. Um, and you did it defensively, too. You may have given up 30 points, but you held an opponent to under 30% shooting for the third straight half. So the defense, even at home, even though you gave up 67 points for the game, was still there. It was still impacting and really dictating what you did um, on, on both ends of the court. And I think I think it was a good sign for Carolina that they're back home, they're playing in front of their fans, they're playing in front of a very good and lively Smith Center crowd, and they didn't have a slow start. Because I think if they would have come back home and started slow again and it took them – 12, 14, 16 minutes to settle into the game, then maybe this becomes a trend and this becomes a a part of what this team is. It might be what this team is away from home, 
but you expect that given their their road games and where Carolina's got to go play. They're not going to go into certain arenas and, and and run away with the game early, uh, you know, or, or early in the game. But you know, you still get tonight's or this afternoon's first half, and that's as dominant a twenty minutes Carolina has played on both ends of the court so far this season. Yeah, I mean, that that was one of the things that initially stood out to me as well, and I'm, I'm glad that was the first takeaway because, it, look, we've seen other games where Carolina has been able to do that. Tennessee, Charleston Southern stick out. But I, I the, the one concern that you've had at times with this team is that they do not start fast. Even you go back to some of the games that they won in the Bahamas, they didn't start fast. Um you know, th- th- this is something that this team needed to focus on is come out, punch a team in the mouth, and really set yourself up to be comfortable in the second half. Because there have been times where Carolina just has to run away from opponents. The, the final margin makes it look like it was a rather comfortable game when it really wasn't. And this look, this was a team that I know that they have struggled away from home. Uh, they've been beaten pretty handedly in just about every one of their losses now. But this was a team that in the majority of those games, they have fought in the first half. They've hung around. And look, if they would have hung around in this first half, it wouldn't have been a shock. But the thing is, is you want to make sure that if they're hanging, that that you're not giving them the chance to hang around and then make some plays uh, early in the second half to potentially be able to boost their confidence. That happened in this game. But it took the game, uh, you know, to a 15-point game at the time instead of taking it to, let's say, a lead for them or even if not, you know, cutting the margin to, you know, a a, a one or two possession game. This, you know, with that first half, Syracuse was able to come out, make a little run early in the second half, and then you were able to respond and basically put this game away. So – I mean, that's that's what you want to see from this team in the first half. Look, you're not going to be nearly as dominant as you were at points in that first half um, because that's probably a little bit too much to ask, especially with this ACC. I know there are, this is not the most powerful conference in all of college basketball anymore. I know there are some teams that uh, you look at and you would think Carolina should be able to handle pretty easily. But, I, I mean, you want to see at least – better starts from this team, especially when they're at home. You want to see them get off to, uh, you know, those starts that set them up to be able to have a, a little bit less pressure on them in the second half, allow them to, you know, get deeper into their bench and rest some of these guys that, uh, you know, are going to play such key roles in the big games down the stretch of the season. And I think you saw that today against a lesser Syracuse team from the word go. Yeah, you mentioned Syracuse down 22 at the half. Um, you know, they start the second half on a 9-2 run. And now you're sitting there wondering, okay, is this going to become a game? Carolina responds on an 8 nothing run, and at one point it was an extended 40-20 to margin in favor of Carolina. That's, uh, th- that's having a killer's instinct. That's that mentality of putting games away, putting opponents away, and that's what championship-caliber teams do. They, you know, they don't play with their food. They go ahead and finish their meal, um, and they move on to the next one. The big reason why Carolina played at such a high level today is you got big games from your three best players, R.J. Davis, Armando Baycott, and Harrison Ingram. R.J., 22 points, 7 of 12 shooting, 4 of 6 from 3, 4 of 4 from the foul line. Armando Baycott. His 76th double-double, 16 points, 6 of 8 shooting, 4-4 from the foul line, um, and 11 rebounds. Did so in 17 minutes. Harrison Ingram, 11 points, 10 rebounds. He was 5 of 13 from the field. When you think about it, in all honesty, Carolina, I I guess maybe you go back to maybe the Florida State game. Probably got to go back to the Tennessee game. Those three haven't all played well at the same time from an offensive standpoint in Carolina's winning streak. Like you look the other night, RJ, you know, got 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 points, but he didn't shoot the ball efficiently. Um, Harrison Ingram had 19 rebounds, but 
only scored, you know, nine points, didn't reach double figures from a point total. Armando Baycott's been the steady force where he's posted double doubles, I think, in the last three games for Carolina um, and has, has reached, you know, the double digit scoring total in the last three games as well. Um, and the Carolina needs this. From an offensive standpoint, um, I think they're good enough to beat most teams in this conference. If two of them play at a good level, two of them play at a high level, but when they all three play at a high level, it just takes Carolina uh, to a different category. And that's one where you talk about them being a Final Four contender um, as as we sit here in the middle of January. I thought it was really important for RJ just to get back in rhythm because he. He wasn't in rhythm away from home. Made some big shots, made some big plays, but the game wasn't coming as easy to him. The game came easy to him today. And then I'll reference this this comment again that, that Debbie Antonelli told me. She told me back when I spoke with her in late December that she felt like Armando Baycott was pacing himself and waiting for ACC play to get here to really play full throttle. And she might be right because since the – calendar turn to 2024 and it's just been nothing but ACC opponents. He's been the best big man in the conference and that's saying something considering some of the talent we have down low in the ACC. Yeah, he's been amazing and she's probably right about that especially because he's, as we know, he's been through this pretty often. So he knows about the wear and tear that it takes to get through a season. He probably feels like, especially at the end of the last few years, he's probably run out of steam to a certain extent. And so you feel like, yeah, maybe he was pacing himself a little bit. Um, but even if he wasn't, he's just gotten himself back into a rhythm. Um, he had a game against the team in Pittsburgh that he has dominated in the last few years. And I think that really allowed him to sort of reset. And since then, we've seen him play at a really high level. Um, this game, I mean, you're talking about he, he played 17 minutes in this game, scored 16 points and had 11 rebounds. That's the type of dominant production that we've seen from him at times throughout his career. R.J. Davis, I mean, I was never worried about R.J. Davis. And it's gotten to the point now where if he's not scoring 20 in a game, everybody's freaking out. And uh, look, he didn't have – I thought the thing that you like to see from him the most today – was you talked about the team getting off to a fast start in the first half. Well, so did he. That was really what you wanted to see. Yeah, because 15 first-half points. What's up? And 15 first-half points. Yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's the thing, because what we had seen in the last few games was really a guy that he was there in the second half. As you mentioned, he would hit the big shots for you. But in the first half, it just something was off. It, it just wasn't there. And it makes sense why both of those games, Carolina was in a close one at the half. This game left absolutely no doubt. And when he sets that sort of pace out of the gate, I mean, it's hard to compete. And look, he's the guy making shots for you from beyond the arc. I mean, he was four of six from outside. The rest of the team hit three threes the entire day. So... I mean, when he's on, it's just so different. And then for Harrison Ingram to get a double-double, the, the thing that's so impressive is the rebounding is now starting to become consistent. Because we saw it early in the year. We saw the ability to get the double-digit rebounds. And we thought to ourselves, okay, this is going to eventually become the norm. But I think is when we got to the end of conference play or, or the end of non-conference play and the first game or two of the, non, uh, of the of conference play, you kind of said to yourself, okay, is he really – was that just kind of a flash-in-the-pan moment for him as a guy that's a, that, that's that great of a rebounder? Is he a guy that's probably going to be around four or five rebounds uh, per game? And now you're starting to see him take back over in that department, and it's huge. You're right. When those guys play well, it's hard to beat Carolina. And then you talk about, you know, if you could get Cormac Ryan in rhythm, he's the guy that I think – it, you know, people aren't talking about right now because he's not really feeling it offensively. But Carolina has the potential to have four guys that can really score at will um, if if Cormac can find his range. Because you look at what Cormac does so well, got to the foul line the most times of anybody today, was five or six at the foul line, 
scored nine points overall, and that's where he scored the majority of his points because he was only two of five from the field. Now, he's realized that I can't take a lot of shots because they're not falling, but we've seen at other times this year, and it seems like just about every time that we're feeling like he's starting to get himself on track offensively, he always seems to roll an ankle. Um eventually you would you would imagine that it's going to click for him. And at that point, you talk about turning Carolina into the most dangerous team in the country. That is what could turn them into that type of team. You know, they're, they're, they're progressing towards with the, the growth and maturation of Elliot Cadeau, where they, they're going to have five guys on the floor that can kill you at any point in time, <clears throat> can burn you at any point in time. Cause I mean, Elliot Cadeau's ability to put the ball on the floor and get to the rim is ridiculous. Most freshmen can't do what he can do. He knows how to use his body to create separation um, and be able to put the ball up off the glass. So they're really progressing towards, and we talked about it when the roster was put together, this is the way Hubert Davis wants to play. And he's finally got a roster that, that fits the mold, that fits the vision, and you're seeing it come to fruition. Um, you know, you, you you mentioned Harrison Ingram's rebounding, and where where was it going to be? He had to be the guy in those practices that Hubert Davis challenged the most, because you know that Armando Baycott's going to get his. But if we're going to play this way, then he has to be an impactor and maybe a force on the glass. Kind of a reason why you haven't seen a whole lot of Jalen Washington and Armando Baycott lineups, simply because they don't need them because H.I. is getting to the glass and he's doing a phenomenal job impacting the game in that way. So, Well, and that could be another thing is that maybe he heard that Hubert was talking about, hey, we may have to go to the two bigs because we're not rebounding well. And maybe even that, he heard that and said, look, I got to step my game up because no offense to Jalen Washington, having a guy like – Harrison Ingram out there is going to help you more to guard some of those more athletic teams where Jalen Washington, I mean, look, athletic big, he's shown that, but I I think it was known that if you're putting both of those guys out there on the floor, teams will be able to attack you on that end of the floor. And I think he heard that and, and really just stepped up. And one of the other things real quick Greg Ward makes this comment, and I think he's 100% right. He said, I'm really impressed with Mondo's quickness, especially guarding guys on the perimeter. He looks healthy, and the weight loss is showing. I think he's 100% right about that. I think he looks healthy. We've seen it each and every year. It always seems like he gets banged up, especially around this time. So it's good to see him healthy. But more than anything, I think you're starting to see the weight loss pay off. You saw it you know, the other night against NC State where he was just able to wear down DJ Burns. And I think you're starting to see as we get into conference play, he's more athletic. He's able – it's really showing up on the defensive end of the floor where I think he's taken some huge leaps. And I think that's allowing Carolina to really take this this team to a whole nother level that I don't even know if we thought they were capable of um, coming into the season because we just – I don't know if any of us really realized how much work Armando had put in to lose the weight – to become more agile and quick, and it's it, it's showing up so far in conference play. Yeah, I mean, I'll go back to ACC Media Day. I got a chance to sit down and talk with him, and he talked about losing those 10 to 15 pounds, and you're seeing it show, uh, show up and pay off because he's look, he, he's not an explosive player. He, he he's not he's not a he's not a big that's going to give you a bunch of flashy plays. But his conditioning's better, his stamina's better, and it's it's a big reason why he's been able to wear down some of the other bigs he's played so far this season. Well, you mentioned Jalen Washington, and with that, we'll transition to the bench. And you know, Greg Newman commented and said that Washington and Withers are getting better every game, and they both had two really big games today. You look at Jalen Washington, another double-digit uh, point total off the bench, 11 points, in 12 minutes, was four or five from the field, grabbed six rebounds. But Jalen Withers, a guy that um, I think we've easily been the most critical of um, as one of the bench guys, had his best game so far of the season. He scored 10 points off the bench. He also grabbed six rebounds, all just in 13 minutes. And Carolina's bench today scored 39 points. 
you got nine points from Seth Tremble. Um, and, and I am running out of words to talk about the growth and the development we've seen from him because he can put the ball on the floor. He can hit corner threes. He's the best perimeter defender for Carolina. Um, he's a good team defender. But you look at this unit as a whole, and, you, you, you know, after the Kentucky game, I think there was cause to be concerned how deep Carolina could go because these guys in early December, they weren't, they weren't necessarily liabilities, but there was a definite drop-off. And you could, you could almost feel Hubert Davis wanting to go back to running his starters into the ground and using his bench basically if he had to. And he no longer has to do that, and he hasn't done that because all three of those guys – have really taken a step forward. Jalen Washington, um, you know, I've said it, once he puts 10 to 15 more pounds of of muscle on his body, he's going to have a John Henson type of of, of growth jump next season. He's going to be a guy that will finish the year averaging 5.4 rebounds. He'll be a double-double guy this time next year. Jalen Withers, though, I think to me is the X factor for the bench because he's your second-best defender, but, you know, you need him to score the ball at times, and he needs to get to the boards. And they didn't need him to, to score the ball today. It was a great beneficiary that he was able to put the ball in the basket, but you need his rebounding. And you look at what he's done since the calendar turned to conference play, no matter how long he's played, he's rebounded the ball. And he's done so at a high level. And um, you just got to commend the, the job Hubert Davis has done figuring out how to utilize his bench. It's not going to be consistent. He's going to play guys off the field and the way the game is being played. But, you know, this was a game even in years past that he would have played his starters 34 minutes. No starter played more than 27 minutes this afternoon. That was R.J. Davis. And you had um, four guys off the bench play double-digit minutes. You haven't really been able to say that. Uh, under Hubert Davis, and, and so when 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 you look at why this team is is jumping off and separating itself, like yes, the starters are playing at a high level, but you've got a second unit that's as good as any team or as any second unit in the league, and they're able to help and build the lead that Carolina starters put them in when they when they check into the game. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you've got three guys now that you can rely on, and I'm comfortable with saying that Jalen Withers is there. And I think, really, you've seen his game take off, and you said it was since conference play. It was really since that game against Clemson. Once he ripped down six rebounds in that game, including three on the offensive end, some important ones along the way, that really sort of set the tone for him and made him – realize, I guess, that, hey, I need to be impactful for this team. You're starting to see him be able to defend at the level that Carolina thought he would when he came in here. I think early on, you know, being on a team, you know, that didn't need him to play at the highest level, I think he sort of settled into a little bit of a comfort zone. Um, And I, I think now he's realizing that, look, we don't need you to be the guy that you were at Louisville. We don't need you to score at that high level. But, hey, when you come into the game, we need you to contribute, especially on the glass. And if you get opportunities to finish inside, we need you to do that. I mean, four of five from the field today, most efficient day that he's had since he's been at Carolina, 10 points, six rebounds. If he can do that along the way, you feel really confident about what he can bring. And then you look at Jalen Washington. In years past, if Armando Baycott had to come out of the game because of foul trouble, which we've seen – relatively often here uh, in in recent games, you would panic. You would immediately say, oh, here we go, Carolina, now they're going to have to go small or they're putting somebody on the floor that just is not as effective as Armando Baycott. Not saying that Jalen Washington is as effective, but the drop-off isn't nearly as significant as it's been in years past. Uh, Four or five from the field for him today – That's been something we've seen from him all year, right? When he comes into games, on the offensive end of the floor, he is incredibly productive, incredibly efficient. That's what you want to see from him when he comes into the game. Six rebounds today, 
three of five from the foul line. So he was not only was he getting there, but he was finishing at that foul line when he needed to. This was a really, really strong performance for him. And Seth Trimble, I mean, just three of eight from the field, but scores nine points, continues to be aggressive. That's the thing that you like the most from him is that he gets to the basket, he gets downhill, and on a day like today, even though he wasn't as efficient as he's been in some past games, he, you know, the fact that he was able to do what Syracuse was giving Carolina the entire game was huge. I just, to me, you're at the point where you've got three guys that you can trust off the bench. Paxson Wojcik plays 10 minutes today. You're not going to need that from him, but at the same time, he's a guy that Carolina has used just to sort of steal minutes. Same thing with Zayden High at times. So it's basically like with those two guys, I don't really think either one of them is a complete player, but I think when you combine them, you can probably count them as another guy off the bench for you. You've got nine guys that can really contribute, and that is huge when you get into conference play and just so much different from what we've seen in years past. And it also helps when you got a couple of blue squad guys that can put up some points for you. For you. Rob Landry and Dewey Ferris, we see you guys. Tremendous performances from that, especially Rob Landry hitting that three. Yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun seeing the bench have success. And one thing I pointed out during the broadcast, um, man, this this team celebrates the success of its teammates. And whether it's a starter on the bench cheering or a reserve on the bench cheering, the bench is engaged. Um, and they're and they're cheering for their teammates. Um, and that's a really big thing. You know, Gino Oriema. I once I remember listening to him talk about when he would go recruiting, and of course, if you don't know him, he's the greatest women's basketball coach of all time. He wouldn't recruit players if they didn't cheer while they were on the bench. And that speaks to a culture that he built. Um, and it's something that at Carolina, we grew up seeing our bench be very active, very uh, involved in the game. Hasn't been the case last couple of years. And it's a small detail, but it's a big detail because it shows how close the group is, how much they love one another, and ultimately how much they do, in fact, play for one another. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the defense today just because we've done that in the last three episodes, but you still got to love the fact that they defended the three-point line really well, 4 of 19. Judah Mintz might have scored 21 points, but was just 7 of 17 from the field. Um, never really – got into a rhythm and was never able to take over that end of the floor. But a season-high 13 steals for Carolina. Overall, they forced 17 turnovers that fueled, that, that, that led to 23 points. So the defense was different today. The last three games, it's been great individual defense, team, team defense, getting stops, getting rebounds, and going down the other end. Today, it was forcing turnovers, getting out in the open floor, and it's a big reason why Carolina was able to score 103 points as they did. Now let's get to the discussion topic. Um, and and this, this one I think would be interesting to, to see where we both land on this. Um, as, as I mentioned, with today's win, Carolina 5-0 and in the league – and there's, they're going to be inside the, the top five of the AP poll on Monday morning. The question is, is how high? I think there's a case for them to be as high as number three whenever we get that poll Monday afternoon or so. Mm-hmm. We got a text from Colin Hoggart, who's a P1 to the show and, of course, is our boss at, at the radio station. And he brought up maybe being semi-concerned if this team is peaking too early. Um, And I think it's a reasonable thing to ask because even though I thought this is a Final Four team, I didn't see this. I didn't see 13-3. and I didn't see 5-0. and I didn't see this level of dominance being displayed defensively in conference play. But I think more than anything, and he may be right, we'll we'll find out. Um, This is the soft part of Carolina's schedule where they should stack wins and build wins. We talked about this and the non-conference season, it's been five years since we've seen this team progress as the season moved along. Um, You know, all my life, I saw Carolina improve from November to December, December to January, January to February, and February into March, 
where typically they were playing their best. It hasn't happened since the, the, the Kobe White year when that team got hot, went 16-2 in the league, won an ACC regular season title, and was a one seed in the, in the NCAA tournament. So for a lot of us, we haven't seen progression the last couple of years. And but that's what we're seeing from this team right now. Also, there's still a lot of areas they can get better. And so I, I, I think it's way too early to say that they've peaked. If they were shooting 37 38% from three on a nightly basis, if they weren't committing 14 turnovers in back-to-back games, I'd sit here and say, yeah, maybe they've peaked and this is as good as they're going to be. I look at a team that is, yes, really good, and B has been dominant at times, but has room to grow. And, and as I sit here today, I, I don't think they've peaked too early because I still think their best basketball is still ahead of them. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I had the thought too. I'm not going to lie. When, when you come out and, and you look the way that you did, you're now 5-0 and in conference play. We're used to seeing Carolina, even good Carolina teams, drop games early in the the conference season. I mean, remember, the 0-9 team started out, uh, they they were, what, 0-2 in conference play to begin? So, like, I think we've just – and that's the thing. We have these superstitions as Carolina fans. Like, if this team is really going to be that good, well, then they they can't win the ACC – the ACC tournament, because as we know, if they win the ACC tournament, they don't make the runs in the NCAA tournament that we want them to. So, I mean, those are the little quirky things. But if we're being honest with ourselves here, I mean, look, this is, I think, just a really good team. And I I look, it's possible that this team could peak too early. It, it, It certainly is. But I think you're right. One thing that you have to take into account is that this is the easier part of Carolina's schedule. It's going to get a lot tougher later on in the re- in the regular season in conference play. Once you get to that back half of the schedule, look, if you're still doing this and you're let's say you're just absolutely blowing people out, okay, then we can revisit this conversation and say, hmm, you really do kind of wonder. But I don't think that's the case. I think this team, it, you're, you're seeing that it, it's just a group that is more together than the ones that we've seen in past years, it's much deeper than the groups that we've seen in years past. And I think you're just finding out that this is one of the country's best teams overall. Um, I, I think, you know, the other thing that you have to take into account is you may say, well, we look at some of the other really great teams in college basketball over the last couple of years, and even this, this year in particular, Purdue, Arizona. Those are teams that put together amazing regular seasons and then it doesn't carry over into the tournament. Well, the thing is, is look at the past histories, even just the recent histories of those two programs. Those are programs that when they get to the tournament, they have historically failed over and over and over again. Hubert Davis is a guy that took a team that had no business in going anywhere close to the Final Four. There, beat their greatest rival, in the, the greatest iteration of that game to eliminate what many people believe is the greatest coach in the history of the sport and came within, as as the team like to say, one rebound of winning a national championship over a pretty great Kansas team. So he knows how to coach when it comes to the NCAA tournament. So I'm not too worried about it. I think, you know, this is something that, as I said, if, if, if this team continues, if they can, they go on a run and for some reason they can get to, you know, 13, 14 and 0 in conference play, maybe then you're starting to have this conversation. But right now, I think you're just seeing that Carolina is just that damn good of a basketball team. And I'm not going to let myself go to that place of panicking about that because I think that's the that, that's what we've seen in the last few years sort of cropping up in a different way. Just enjoy what's happening out there on the court because, man, right now it looks like it's something special. Well, and also the last thing before we get out of here, like, yes, college basketball, it's a sport of parity. It's the most parity sport we have really here in the United States because, as we saw earlier in the week, Teams couldn't leave their home their home gyms and win. Mm-hmm. You still see separation this time of the year. 
Um, you know, we'll get to the tournament, and Jay Billis will say that there's 24 to 30 teams that can win a national championship. In reality, that answer is about 10 to 14. Um, and those teams in this time of the year in conference play start to separate themselves and start to flex their muscle. And that's what Carolina's doing. This is the part of the schedule that we talked in the non-conference or in the preseason, said, you know, Carolina's got to stack wins if they want to put themselves in a legitimate position to win the league. Because as we know, once 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 you play Duke that first time, you know, it's it's brutal the rest of the way. And that's what they're doing. They're stacking wins. Um, they're, they're building off of one game from another. They're flexing their muscle on inferior competition. And they're starting to separate themselves from the pack, which is what, and this, what this team is. That's what national title contenders do. And so, as I mentioned, there's still room for this team to grow. There's still room for this team to get better. Um, and I still believe, as well as they played right now, their, their, their best basketball is still in front of them. But with that, guys, that's going to wrap up another live edition of the Four Corners podcast. Do want to thank guys like Greg Ward, Greg Newman for chiming in on the chat. Um, you, you, you really are a great addition to the show. Um, we've read every comment, just can't go over every comment. Um, and it's been really fun being back for another live edition of the podcast. But in the meantime, guys, we are going to encourage you to visit the website, HeelToughBlog.com, Syracuse Recap, already live on the website. Go back and read a little bit more in-depth about Carolina's win over the Orange. I'll be back getting you ready for the Louisville game, Carolina's next opponent. That game will come your way Wednesday at 9 p.m. on the ACC Network. A lot of great football content on the website as well um, as Carolina continues their work in the transfer portal. So make sure you're staying locked in, HeelToughBlog.com latest Carolina basketball and Tar Heel football coverage. As for the podcast, guys, if you're with us on the audio platform, you know where to find us. Every major podcasting platform, just simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're off to a historic start in the month of January, so we're going to encourage you guys to make sure you hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. But with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do you want to thank Anthony for hosting with me? We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.